And I know oftentimes we don't see our situations as crisis unless it's a life and death situation. But I want you to see it as a life and death situation. Amen? So think back to that time that you heard the voice of God, whether it be audible, whether it be through the word of God, whether it be just by the unction of the Holy Spirit. Just think about that for a minute and the specific instructions that Holy Spirit gave you. Anytime that God needs, that you need something from God, it usually requires a response, some sort of action on our part. And a response because you have to be obedient. There's always an if, a when, a but, a then, or something in the words that God proclaims. Amen? Think about that and keep that in your head. So we have this widow woman that um, is just about to lose her son, and she's frantic, and she's panicking. And the man of God comes to town, and she goes to him. She goes to him, and she asks, man of God, what, what am I going to do? I, I, I'm in a crisis. And the man of God just clearly says to her, what do you have? What do you have in your house? She had no means of, of income. She had no means to pay off the debt. So, so Elisha just clearly said, what do you have in your, ha- in your house that would be valuable enough that we could use to maybe take care of some of these bills. And listen to what the woman said. She said, I had nothing but oil. Now, you all know how pastor feels about that word, but it changes everything, right? She said, I have nothing but. Now, remind you, I'm just laying groundwork for verse 41. She said, I had nothing but oil. So the man of God says, he gives her specific specific instruction. He says to the woman, now first of all, when you're going through something and you're in your little neighborhood, your family, your friends, you know, they, they always have a little something, something to say, right? They always have opinions. Not all input that we get is godly and holy and full of the word and full of love and all that. Sometimes you hear stuff that you really don't need to hear, right? So during this crisis, and especially in that culture, Everything was kind of like keep it in your house, business, whatever, like that. Kind of sort of like we, oh, I mean, some of us are here. <laughs> but th- listen to what the man of God told her. He says, basically, I'm, I'm paraphrasing a lot of this in, in, in the book of Sarah, so just work with me. Um, he basically tells her, look, I know you got a crisis here in your home. I want you to leave your home and go get vessels. Because you tell me you only have oil. So you don't have anything to store the oil in. You don't have anything to put the oil in. So I want you to go to your neighbors and get the oil. And then he says, I don't want you to just get a few of them. I want you to get all that you can get. Okay, so just get everything you can find. Just knock on the door to say, look, in a crisis, need a vessel, can I borrow it? Thank you. On and on. And remind you, she's going to the people that probably are just saying ugly things about her and her family and, and how much trouble they're in. And you know how gossipers do. They just, you know, extend it. They share it. They, they well, let me leave that alone. So here we have a lady giving specific instructions. The man of God tells her to go to her neighbors and get all that she can get. 
Now, you think that God put this out there like this, hmm, just to be putting that in the Bible like that? I think it was specific. See, God probably already knew, her neighbors probably already knew that she was having a fit and having problems and everything like that. But they didn't do anything to help her. Or she would have had provision. She would have had something. They didn't do anything. Say, sister, can I help you? Can I maybe give you a little bit of oil, a little bit of this that, that can maybe tide you over? Maybe I can give you something to, sh- to sell. Had they, her neighbors, done something like that, she probably wouldn't have been in the shape she was in. So, to me, this shows humility that she would have to basically say, I'm going to swallow my pride. I don't care what they're saying about me. I don't care how it looks. I'm going to go to these people and ask them for their help. Now, all I need is vessels. And so by now, you got your neighbors talking and saying, what in the world is she doing? She done lost her ever-loving mind. Why does she need all these vessels, considering she has nothing to put in them? So it already looks like she's, you know, she's done lost it. She's, she's sad. Her husband's passed away. Her, they're threatening to take her kids. She's in a crisis. She's, she's out there. But all the while, the neighbors are seeing this, and they're talking. You, you know, they're talking. Y'all, y'all know. They're, they're talking. But she continues to do what God has told her. Do you just go get them vessels? You let them talk. You bring them in the house. Yes, you're getting their vessels, because I want them to see that you're not just getting a couple. I want them to see that I'm about to bless you, and I'm about to bless you big. So this is not a little miracle that God is getting ready to work through Elisha and and, and this woman. Do you understand that? So it's not just a little thing. It's it's God's wanting you to see. And you know sometimes God will use your enemies to bless you. Oh, y'all, come on. Sometimes he will use the very ones that talk about you, the very ones that kicked you when you was down, the very ones that said that you wasn't going to ever amount to anything, the very ones that said that you couldn't, you can't. Those very ones, God would use them to bless you. That's scripture, that's biblical. So remember the the prophet Elisha said to her to go to all her neighbors, not just a few, because he wanted this to be a big deal. He wanted them to know, I'm not just going to give her a little something, something. I'm geared to, it's, this is geared to be big. And he let them see and let them talk, but they still blessed her. They still blessed her. Isn't that weird that they would continue to bless her? Come on, y'all. I want you to think about something. Think about your homes. Think about your families. Think about your address, your personal issue that you're going through. And think about the talk that people say about you and the things that, that maybe they say about your children or your grandchildren or, or whatever, your, your, your things that you used to do in your past. You know, people still talk about our past. It doesn't belong to us anymore, but people still talk about our past. Just think about your address and think about something that, that you want a miracle in in that area, in that specific, specific area, whether it be your finances, your marriage, your children, your health, um, your ministry, whatever it is, think about that right now. Because I'm trying to tell you something great is about to happen in our homes. Something great is about to happen in our homes. When I was doing this, and don't y'all laugh, but if you do, it's all right. I'm, I, God gives me stuff in weird ways. I see different. I, I hear different. It's okay. But this is not a very religious song. This is not a Holy Ghost Jesus song. There's a song um, 
And I don't know all of it. I just know like the little hook, the little course part where it says, don't believe me, just watch. And I don't remember some, yeah, some guy saying that where he was just really, you know. And, and what came to my mind when I was reading this, and sometimes people will say you can't and it won't. And then you just kind of get that Holy Ghost reverend. You said, I believe him, just watch. You know, that's, that's what I got. When you said, oh, okay, that's pretty cool. I like that. I like that. I believe him, just watch. He's going to work it out for me. And so this is the type of, of atmosphere that, that she was um, going in. So moving on. So the prophet tells her to do some specific things. Now listen, I want you to pay attention because sometimes, and I'll try to hurry up because I know we're tired and, and all these things. Well, just listen because this is going to be good. This is going to bless you. This is going to bless your homes. The prophet tells her some specific things to do. And I'm going to list them, and if you're right, and I'll try to go slow enough that you can get it. He tells us specifically, he says, go ask your neighbors for the vessels. He tells her to go get the vessels and bring them back to her home. He tells her to get her children and bring them in the house. He tells her to shut the door behind her. Then he tells her to pour the oil in all of the vessels. Didn't have a discussion about, well, what if I don't have enough? Or what if the vessels are too small? Or what if I break one? Or it didn't say any of that. It just says, go get the vessels, fill them all with oil, and then set the full ones aside. Okay? So there's six or seven, six things that the prophet specifically gave her to get her miracle. Okay, so she filled all the vessels. She completed the instructions to a T. Then after she completed the instructions, she came back to the prophet and she says, okay, I've done what you've asked. Now, what do you want me to do? Can you imagine? You've asked God, you've talked to him, you've prayed to him, you put the word on it, and you still don't see a result. Like, I did everything you told me to do, God. I went left when you said go left. I went right when you said go right. I sat down when you said sit down. I spoke when you said speak. I'm still in need of my miracles. Isn't that just like us? To continue to, to ask when God's already provided that miracle for us? I mean, think about this. Here we have this woman who had nothing but the oil, the very thing that she didn't count valuable was the very thing that brought her a miracle. Oh, thank you, Jesus. The very thing that you count out is probably the very thing that God's going to use to bring you your miracle. Come on, church. Okay, so now listen to this. You would think that she came out and she asked the prophet, he said, okay, now what do you do? Elisha just looks at her, I'm, I'm just paraphrasing as if I was there, you know. He looks at her and he says, you know what, you follow directions well. You went through, you did everything, you're cool. Now you go sell the oil and you make money and y'all live well. That was it. Those were her instructions. So I had those six and now he's given her one, two, three, three more. So there's nine. He's given her nine pieces of instruction. And many times we often we read this portion of scripture and we, you know, jump and shout and carry on about the oil 
You know how we say, oh, the oil didn't never stop pouring. It never stopped pouring. It did this and it did that. And that's true. It did not stop pouring until the vessels were all filled. But then the Holy Spirit got, got my attention and, and kind of revealed a little more of this to me. Because sometimes we, we, we see the big and we don't account for all those little bitty miracles. All those, every one of those nine little things were miracles. Sister Ann, they were miracles. Because you know what? She would not have had, she would not have had that blessing if she hadn't gone through those, if she wasn't in a crisis. He wouldn't have given her, go talk to your neighbors, go talk to your enemies, go get those vessels. All those were miracles brought on by the lack, her lack of provision, her lack of oil. Do you understand what I'm saying? So she didn't just have one big boom of a miracle, which she did, but inclusive, there are nine other things that God blessed her with as she was being obedient, following instructions from the man of God. Just saying, just saying, it does the body good when you listen to the word of God. I mean, I mean, it does, it does. Okay, so then we drop down to probably a verse eight. Verse eight, I'm not going to read it. And we see another miracle. We see the story about the Shunammite woman. This is really good to me. This is really going to help somebody. This is really going to bless your houses, I'm telling you. So we see the story about the Shunammite woman. And in about verse 16, Elisha says, he says to, uh, he, tells, he comes to town, and, this, and, and the Shunammite lady says, you know, I want to bless you. We want to put you up. We want to feed you. We want to take care of you while you're in town. And Elisha was, this is paraphrase, Sarah, book of Sarah. And um, he says, uh, okay, okay, I'm going to let you do that, uh, you know, honor your request. I'm going to do that. And so um, Elisha says, you've been so great to us. You've taken such good care of us. What can I do to bless you? So she said, well, you know, I don't know, but I don't have a son. That would be amazing if, you know. Maybe I could have a son, but you know, things aren't what they need to be. And so, eh, you know, you know how we do. Somebody's trying to bless us, like, I don't need that. You go on. But thank you anyway. And all the while, I was like, why did I do that? They were trying to bless me. They were really trying to help me. God probably sent that boat. And I'm out here in the water. He probably sent that blessing. Anyway, I'm going to leave that alone too. So we have the woman. She is in need of a son. Elisha tells her, about this time next year, you will embrace a son. She said, come on now, don't play with me. Don't play with me like that. You know, things aren't lined up like they need to be, and you know, the husband is this, and you know, I'm this, and uh, it's been years, and I can't see it happening, so don't play. And Elisha was like, no, for real. About this time next year, you're going to have a son. Sure enough, about that time next year, she embraced the son. So what does that say to you? That means she embraced her promise. That means she received it. Not that she was carrying it or she was waiting on it or that it was coming down the road. She embraced it, which means she physically had it. She had attained it. She had received it. She had her promise, her son, her promise. So about verse 19, the boy gets sick. He's out in the field. He gets sick. He comes in to his mom. Verse 20 says that 
this young boy died. Okay, so now, you remember I said this is her promise. The man of God had given her a promise. He, he was there. The boy died. Verse 21 says that uh, the Shunammite woman put the, the, the dead child, the boy, on Elisha's bed. They had a room, an upper room where he slept and where they stayed. So she just took the child, put him on her bed. And because uh, so, sometimes you just got to remind God of his word. The Bible says that keep me in remembrance of my word. So sometimes you got to remind God, wait, hold, hold up. You promised me that son. You promised me that whatever it is. So I had it and now it's gone. What 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 is what does that mean? Come on, church. You never questioned God. You never said, God, I thought you said. I thought you meant. I thought you told me. I thought I thought I was going to. I thought you said. Y'all never question God about stuff like that? In your in in your secret places and your quiet time. You don't just, you know, say, What's up? You know, like you don't don't leave me out there hanging. I gotta have a word. I need something. This is this is not right. We do it often. Because we have questions, and it's okay to talk to our daddy God like that. He doesn't mind. So now that she's lost her son, well, no, she didn't lose him. He's dead. He's on the bed. He's dead. She tells the servant, go get the donkey. I'm going to go up here to see the man of God. Her husband asks her, you know, is everything all right? It is well, is the response that she gives. It is well. She goes about her business. She gets to the man of God. And I don't know about y'all, but I would be, you know, that would be a ride to reckon with because I'd be like, how are you going to tell me I'm going to have a, you know, I'd be just going on. How are you going to tell me I'm going to have this and then I'm not, it's gone. You know, I'd be having these little conversations with the Lord. Lord, what you, what, 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 what's this meant? But she said it is well. So basically she's saying to her husband, I'm good. I'm okay. I'm okay. So now I'll, you got to think about this. This is pretty peculiar because the thing is when she asked if everything was okay, she said two things, two things that I noticed. She didn't tell other people. She didn't complain. She didn't say, woe was me. She didn't murmur. She didn't, when, when, when he asked her, was he okay? She said it as well. The second thing is she only spoke to the person who who spoke the promise to her. Okay, for us, it would be not the pastor, not our best friend, and not the other sister, the other brother. It would be us going directly to the promise giver, our Heavenly Father. Okay? It would be as if we had a concern or an issue and we were questioning that this thing don't look like what you promised me it was going to look like, so can you help a sister out? Help me understand this, God. Well, she's saying that it is well. She's not asking questions. She's not frantic. Well, not at this point. She kind of went on in. When she got there, I would. I would be asking all kinds of stuff. So she gets to the man of God. Or she goes to him, and Gehazi, his servant, is asking, are you all right? And she says to him, it is well. She goes on a little further, and she gets to Elisha himself. And 
when he asked, she began to tell him. She began to pour out and tell him exactly what, what had happened. So she says, my son is dead. My son is, is at home dead. I put him on your bed. What, what are you going to do? What's, what's the deal? She, Elisha tells his servant, Gehazi, I want you to take my staff, and I want you to go, and I want you to get the donkeys, and I want you to go to the house, and I want you to do these specific things. Once again, he's given specific instructions to his servant, specific he, didn't, he told him not to even speak to anybody on his way. He said, if someone's trying to greet you, you just, you know, be about your business. Don't stop, don't tarry. You get to the boy, and you do what I've asked you to do. Gehazi, Elisha's servant, gets to the boy, and he does as he's instructed. He does exactly as he's instructed. But he did not get the response that he wanted. The boy didn't respond. He didn't come back to life. He didn't breathe. He didn't have a heartbeat. He didn't have a pulse. He, he, he didn't have any of these things. So I imagine he was probably frantic for two reasons. Mama's going to be flipping out because this boy's still dead, and the prophet's going to be flipping out because it didn't work what he told me to do. And then he's like, well, you know, I, I've done what you told me to do. Um, I didn't get, res get the response that I needed. Have we... Ever been given a set of instructions from God and we did them to the best of our ability? We've, we've done them according to what God says do. He says do A, B, and C and not D, so we do A, B, C and not D. And so we sit politely and we wait for the response, the reply, the, the good results, the God results to happen, and it doesn't happen. Oh, come on, y'all. Y'all... I'm just saying me. And so when things don't happen the way that we plan, the way that we pray them out, the way that we put the scriptures on, the way that the man of God said, if you do A, B, C, this is going to happen. Well, it didn't happen. So now what? So we begin to question God. He goes back to Elisha, and he says, I've done these things, did not have a God response. Elisha, by now, mom's frantic. Elisha says, you know what? I'm going to go handle this myself. Get my stuff ready, and I'm going. Mama's like, you ain't leaving me nowhere. I'm going with you. That's my baby on that bed. That's my promise. That's a gift that you said God give me. I'm not going anywhere. I'm going with you so that you can make this right. Because my promise is my promise. My promise is my promise. My promise is my promise. I'm not leaving. I'm not giving up until I see that thing come to fruition. Come on, y'all. And sometimes we have to actually do that. Sometimes we got to, you know, we got to get in and, and get some elbow grease and do whatever it is we got to do because this, this, this promise appears to be dead at this point. About verse 33. It says, Elisha got to the house, and he went into the room himself. He checked out the situation. He closed the door behind him. Here's it again. Shut the door behind you. That door, you got to shut that door. Keep people out your stuff. Get you and Jesus and the word of God, and, and that's it. Sometimes you just got to get by yourself and handle your business, amen? So he shuts the door. He goes in the room. He, uh, he, he puts the... He, he puts the, the 
the staff or the stick on the boy, and nothing happened. He did exactly what he told his servant Gehazi to do. He repeated the same steps, and nothing happened. So he's like, oh, we might be in trouble here. You know, can you imagine? Do we not do that? Do we not do that? Can you imagine the, the things that he was doing? So he left the room. He began to walk. But in my mind, the way I envisioned that he wasn't just walking the floor like, oh, I messed up. I missed you, God. What, what happened? I can just imagine that he was just walking through the house speaking life over that dead situation. I just bet he was. I just bet he was. I bet he was. He said, I'm not losing this one. I'm not losing this fight. I'm not losing this fight, so I'm going to continue to pray. I'm going to continue to seek God. I'm going to send you to fast. I'm going to continue to do whatever it is that I need to do to reach God so he then can hear from me and fix this situation. Church, that's what we need to be doing when we have situations and we have things going on in our lives, in our homes. That, that we can't fix, and we've tried this, and we've tried that. We've asked this person to do this. We've asked that person to do this. Can you just imagine that you might be the very one that God's waiting on to fix it? Go back. Keep seeking God. We got, we got, we got work to do. Go back and keep seeking God. Verse 34 says, Elisha laid on the child. He put his mouth to the child's mouth. He put his eye to the child's eye, his hand to the child's hand. He stretched his body out over the child. There's a whole lot there, but I do not have time to go into all of that. But that is good stuff. It says, after he had done these things, it says the child became warm again. Life came back to the promise. Because sometimes you need to revisit some situations. You need to, to stir up some gifts, you need to get back in there and, 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 and say, okay, Lord, this thing's still here. What do you want me to do? Get back in there. That's what he wants to do. Get back in there. He said that the promise came alive. He said the boy was alive. So imagine that house was just, you know, ecstatic with praise and, and just, just the house just erupted with praise because what was thought to be dead has now been resurrected. Because it was a promise. If God gives a promise, he doesn't take it back. Because he's not a man. He can't lie. The Bible says that the promises of God are yes. Wait, wait. The promises of God are yes. What's the amen? Completing that we agree with his yes. So do we agree with his yes? When God gives us a promise, we can't just say, that's good, God. That's really good. We've got to amen it. It is so. And it is so. Which means you agree with God. Oh, that's good. That's good, y'all. Um, okay, so we're on back to, we went through, okay, the child's alive. We're going to another miracle. Oh, wait, 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 wait. Let me go ahead and finish this. Let me go ahead and finish this. Because I'm going to go through these steps because it means something. So I hope you're getting it because it really meant something to me. I was like, and I'm sweating trying to get it out. Um, so he did all these things to the child. The child sneezed seven times. Then he opened his eyes and he was alive, okay? And Elisha said to Gehazi, go call the woman, tell her, come, come get her child, come get her promise. Okay, verse 37 says, um, 
these are the things that the mom did, the mother did. This is what she did. Now, I want you to pay attention to what she did. She trusted the word given through the man of God. It says she, she was outside or in another room or whatever while the man of God was doing whatever he needed to do to fix the situation. It said when Gehazi came out and said, your son's alive, your promise is, 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 your promise is still intact, it says that she fell at Elisha's feet. And then it says that she bowed to the ground. So that tells me that she stopped before she went to go see her promise. She fell on her face and she worshiped and she gave God thanks for her promise. She took time to give God, to show gratitude to God, to worship him, to, to say, you know what? Thank you, God. Thank you, God. And it says and she went and she picked up her son. She took in possession again that promise. She took that promise. It said he, she picked him up. So that means she picked him up. She took possession of that promise. And then she went out. It didn't say she went out grumbling and fussing and like, you know, why you let my son die? And why did it take you so long? And, and why did this happen? And, and she didn't give him 99 reasons why the devil attacked her. 99 reasons why, you know, this is not working in my life. 99 reasons why, why God is, you know, is, is just, just it, this is happening in my life. She didn't do any of that. The Bible says she, she picked up her promise and she went out. It did not give any details or description of her complaining and mumbling and, or anything. Okay, I want y'all to remember that. Verse 38 says that Elisha goes back to Gilgad, and there is a famine in the land. Verse 30, 38, okay, I have it here, 38. It says Elijah is sitting. This is another miracle. I want you to pay a close attention to this because this is, this is really where I'm trying to get. I had to give a little groundwork before I got here. Verse 38, it says, Elisha was sitting with the sons of the prophet, and he told Gehazi. Once again, he gave specific instructions. He said, put a pot, put a large pot on and boil some stew for the sons of the prophet. Put a large pot on, boil some stew for the sons of the prophet. And then we go down to verse 39. And it said in, in the in the Bible translation that I was reading, and I don't remember if it was a New King James or this NIV, but I, I wrote it like I read it. And it says, it didn't say Gehazi went to go get the the ingredients for the soup. It says, then one. So I interpret that to be, okay, Gehazi didn't go get it. He sent somebody else to go do what God told him to do. Ever ever done anything like that? Send somebody to do what God told you to do, specifically. The man of God gave Gehazi the instructions. But in my mind, as I was reading this, it says, so one went and gathered herbs and found wild vine and gathered wild gores. It didn't say Gehazi. On the other uh, areas that I read, it listed Gehazi's name. So let me know the brother then sent somebody out there to do his work. And that's how we get ourselves in trouble. You send somebody to do what God has ordained, and called and chosen you to do, something is about to happen, and it's not going to be good. It says they went and they gathered the gourds and the, and the herbs and, and all the things. 
And it says that that one sliced them and put them in pots. And then it said that they didn't know what they were. So basically they're saying they went and gathered some stuff. They had no clue of what they were doing. You go put your hand in something that God didn't ordain for you to do. You go get in the midst of something that God did not call you to do. You might be able to do it, but you might not do it well, and you might cause harm in the midst of it. Come on, church. So God is, all of this stuff, I'm trying to gather up all of this on a sheet of paper, and I'm about to bust, and I'm thinking, okay, God, I see what you're saying. I understand what you're saying. The man of God it didn't say that he was disobedient. It just, it just kind of insinuated that Ge- Gehazi did send someone else to do his job. So in verse 40, it says that they served it to the men to eat. And then they somehow or another figured out this is not good, that there's poison in the stew, and they cannot eat it. Because there's poisons in the stew. So I'm thinking, somebody knew what those uh, herbs and those vines and those gourds were. Somebody knew. It just wasn't the right somebody. Because he sent somebody else to do the work that he was supposed to do. Ooh, that's good. That's good. So, so they go to Elisha and they say, look, man of God, I mean, I know you told us to make the stew. We made the stew. We made what you told us to make, and we fed it to these men. We fed it to the prophet, the sons of the prophet, and now they're sick. There's poison in there. And so I'm reading this, and I'm thinking, okay, this is not good. It says, then Elisha said, <laughs> he says, uh, Elisha just, he, you know, I can just imagine, he's like, oh, no problem. Bring me some flour. I'd be like, get the anointing oil, get the Bible, get, 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 get Jesus himself, get something, get, you know, I'm like, get, get the, pull the big ones out, you know. Everybody ate this pot of soup, and he's about, give me some flour. Okay, get you some flour and put it into the pot. No, he put it into the pot. Once again, he had to go back and correct something that someone else did. He had to go back again. He'd ask Gehazi to make get the stuff, make the soup, the stew. But because he didn't do exactly what he was instructed to do, there was an oopsie there. So Gehazi, or Elisha, took flour, put it into the pot, and it basically healed the stew, and it didn't cause them any harm. Okay, so that's verse 41. Okay, that's a miracle, right? That's the one I want you to hold on to. That's the one I want you to think along with your promise that, that you're dealing with, your, your, your issue. Now, on to verse 42 through 44. There is another, there is another promise. It's in verse 42, it talks about someone had brought Elisha, uh, brought uh, first fruits. And, and uh, the ser- he told the servant um, to take it and feed the man of God, to feed the people. And, of course, the servant... Now, this is a miracle in itself. Of course, the servant sees the crowd. He sees how many people, and he sees how much food there is. And he says, you know what? Um, I would do that, but there's not enough food for me to feed all of those people. So first, he's being disobedient, and he's questioned the authority of, of, of the man of God. So the man of God said, again, feed 
the people. He gave him specific instructions. This is the second time he's got to tell him, go feed the people. He said, God said it so, so go feed the people. And so what that means is what, it doesn't matter what it looks like. It doesn't matter what it feels like. What counts is what God says. What counts is really what the word of God says. Not what the doctor's report says, not what the bank account says, not what your physical body says. What does God say about your situation? And so he, he, he understands that he needs to follow these instructions, being that he's, this is the second time that he's given it. And so he goes out. And he does what the man of God said because God had given him a word. He said, you go out and you feed these people and you're going to have leftovers. Sure enough, the servant done what uh, Elisha instructed. He had a promise from God. He had a word from God. And he had leftovers. Why did he have leftovers? Because we serve a God that's more than enough. We serve a God of multiplicities. We serve a God that doesn't just fix things. He fixes them and he fixed them better than they ever were in the beginning. We don't serve a God that half does anything. So if God said do it and you're going to have leftovers, God said do it and you're going to have leftovers. Amen. Verse 44, the servant set the food out before them. The people ate and there were some leftovers according to the word of the Lord. Praise God. According to the word of the Lord. So all throughout this, remember that first key verse that I read, verse 41, about Gehazi said, give me the flour, and he put it into the pot. He put it into the pot. When I was reading this, Holy Spirit was trying to explain to me, but some of this stuff is bigger than me, bigger than my thoughts, because the Bible says his thoughts are higher than my thoughts. His ways are higher than my ways. So sometimes I can't understand it all. I can't understand it all at once. So he has to feed me in little bits of here and little bits there. But this was so good and so rich, I wanted to gobble it up. So the reason that I went through chapter 4 the way I did it is because I wanted to build your faith. The Bible says in Romans 10, 17, that faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. So I wanted you to feel and understand and know the promises of God are the promises of God. I wanted you to see that the situation that we're focusing on was in verse 41. But before verse 41, God had already showed himself mighty in, the, in that chapter. He'd already showed miracle after miracle after miracle. And even when he got to verse 41, as we read through this chapter, God worked a miracle for Elisha and the, and the sons of the prophet. And he fixed the stew. But even after God did what he said he was going to do, he went above and beyond. He showed us another miracle in just in that very chapter. So isn't that just like God? It's just to go through all that, just to make us see that he is a miracle-working God. And sometimes you got to go through all of that to stop for a moment and say, God really is amazing. God really does keep his word. God really he really will keep his word to me. Sometimes we got to go through all of that just to get to that one verse. Verses four, 1 through 40, there were multiple miracles there. And then after verse 41, 42 
through 44, another miracle. There are miracles and testimonies all around you, people of God. And the reason I share that with you, because I know that we stand in need of miracles in, in, in our lives, in our personal lives, in our homes, in our churches, in our city, in our country. Oh, my goodness. We need help. So think about that flower. Think about that flower and your family or your situation or whatever. Because it didn't say that that flower had any special properties. It said that he took the flower, he put it in the pot, and it was done. I think it was in his obedience and in his instructions that he received. Because I don't think he just like, well, give me some grass, I'll throw it in there, give me some flower. I think he had divine instructions from the Lord and to what to do for that situation. Listen. Sometimes God gives us the big word. Sometimes he gives us a little word. Sometimes God gives us instructions A, B, C, and all this. Sometimes God just says move. Sometimes God just says sit. Sometimes God just says stand. Sometimes God just says no. Sometimes God just says wait. I mean, sometimes it's not a big, long sentence and a whole song and dance of what to do and what not to do. Sometimes God just says no. But I'm telling you, we are standing in need of a miracle. And I want you to think of yourself as a flower in that pot. Because we got family issues. We got maybe children or grandchildren or spouses or, or work situations or finances or whatever that we need a miracle. So why couldn't you be the flower in that pot? Come on, Jesus is the bread of life. He is. He is the bread of life. But we've been engrafted into that vine. Y'all hear me? So we can do what God has called us to do. And there are situations that we're dealing with that we don't have to deal with. And so the way that I want to close this, I don't know if you got this, but this, I hope you go home and read it and reverberate some of the things that, that Holy Spirit has given me to say and just really chew on it and meditate on it and let it soak in because this is good. And this is just not for today. This is something that we're going to need as we go on because I'm telling you, we're ending a season in, I don't even know how you say it, in the natural calendar, but we're just beginning it in God's calendar. Do y'all hear me? So if God is saying that, that we can have miracles, not one, but miracles, and in the midst of all of the miracles that he's shown us to build our faith, all we got to do is put a little flower in the pot. I say, Lord, here am I. I say, Lord, here am I. Put me in the midst of a chaotic family so I can be the light that shines in darkness. Put me in the middle of a work environment that is not godly so I can be the light that shines in darkness. Put me in the middle of a school with all kinds of, ooh, 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 all kinds of, you know, you got kids and, and families issues and, and, and all kinds of things. Put me in the middle of that so I can be the light to shine. Say, God, I want to be that flower. Just put me in that pot. I want to be that flower. I want the Jesus to shine so bright in me. There ain't no death in that pot. Because me and Jesus are in that pot. There ain't no death in that pot. Y'all got kids that are not saved? 
You got grandkids that are not saved. You got neighbors that are not saved. You got coworkers that are not saved. You got friends and loved ones that are not saved. Be that flower in that pot. We got work to do. We can't do it by ourselves. They're dying. There's death in their pots. Y'all hear me? They're dying. We have to be that flower. Let God deposit us into the middle of those pots because there's death in it. They're dying and they're going to hell without Jesus as their Lord and Savior. And so that's how I want to close this out. This wasn't a hoopy shouty, but it was so profound to me. I, I said, God, thank you. Thank you for choosing me to share this word with your people. I, I even told him, I said, God, I don't know how they're going to receive it. I don't, I don't even know how they're going to understand the way that I, I, I come up with some of the stuff I say. I, y- you give it to me, I give it to them like you give it to me. But I know that in the sound of my voice, in this house or however, there are people that are in need of miracles. And instead of us asking for ourselves, I want us to come and say, I'm the flower in that pot. I believe in miracles. I've seen you do all of these miracles, God. I've seen you do all of those miracles, God. I know you're a miracle-working God. Use me to be the flower in that pot. God, I don't want my children to die. I don't want there to be death in that pot. God, I don't want to look at my coworkers and laugh and grin at them every day, knowing that they don't know Jesus as their Lord and Savior. God, I don't want to be best friends or buddies with anybody and knowing they're going straight to hell because I'm ashamed. I'm afraid, I'm nervous, I'm scared to tell them about Jesus. God, make me be the flower in that pot because I see the death. I know there's death in that pot, God. People of God, we need to be seeking God. We need to be asking God how we can be that flower in that pot. We got a world that's dying. And put this above and beyond Souls Harbor or Chillicothe. or Look at our world. We go places, we take trips. Men and women of action just came back. Can you imagine all the lives that we can touch just on the missionary trips that we take? Be the flower in the pot, church. Be the flower in the pot. There's death in that old world out there. There's death in the pot. And God has proven by his word that he is a miracle-working God, and he is not a man that he can lie, and that he is faithful to keep his word. Are we going to be faithful? Are we going to be the ones? Are we going to be the ones that stand in the gap? You see, you have to get it like I, I got it. Right in the middle of all those miracles, there's a gap, that verse 41 That's us. We're right in the middle of all of that. Verse 41, where Elisha put the flower in. Let's get in the gap. Let's get right in the gap and begin interceding on behalf of those that are dying from eating what's in that pot. And that's how I want to close. You can sit in your seats. Uh, You could come to the altar 
But that's how I'm going to close out. I'm going to close out with a prayer. And then I want you to spend a few minutes praying, however you feel led to pray. And that's what I want you to take home with you. That's what I want you to remember throughout your week. I want God to bombard your hearts on behalf of those that aren't saved and don't know Jesus. Maybe those that have fallen away from him. Maybe those that, that, that walked away from uh, ministry or walked away from uh, uh, Jesus. We need to cry out on behalf of the lost. That's our job. It should be a privilege. It's our job to cry out on behalf of the lost. Because we'll have to stand before the Lord and give an account for the things we did and the things that we didn't do. And I, I've got so much on my record already, I don't want that to be one of them. I don't want that to be one of them. God, I refuse to be the flower in the pot when you said all I had to do was just be the light in darkness. I refuse because it was uncomfortable, because I was afraid. Because I didn't want people to talk about me or laugh at me. What? Can you imagine all the souls that will be lost because of our no? Think about all the souls that will be won because of our yes. That's what I want us to concentrate on. Amen. God, I come to you right now in the name of Jesus. And God, you just stirred this 